Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast, episode 258. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. I also have a new webcam today, um, so if I look a little weird, I just literally, like, hooked it up just now, so still trying to figure out exactly what I'm doing with it. Um, it is technically, like, a 4K webcam, but I'm not using it for 4K. I'm using it for 108060. Um, and I previously ordered another webcam that I tried to use to accomplish this. But I had a lot of trouble with it working correctly and everything. So I ended up going with like a Logitech, I think it's called like a Brio 4K webcam or something like that. Um, and I found it for like less than 50% or less than, yeah, 50% of the price. So I think they're usually around like 200 if I recall correctly. And I was able to get one uh, pre, pre-owned for about 70 Um So the one issue that came up though is, so I got it and it has like a little... You know, you know, if you get like a webcam for a PC, they typically have, you know, a little like a uh, back to it that like kind of fits around your monitor so you can have it sitting on top of your monitor. Um, this one did not. And so I was like, huh, but it had like a little like flap on it. And so I was thinking, I was like, is this flap supposed to hold it up? And I tried putting that there and was like, no, it doesn't seem like this is what it's trying to do. And I went back and looked at what I actually ordered and it's actually <laughs> uh, a magnetic uh, uh, base, the little flaps, like a magnetic base or whatever. So I was like, oh, so this is like for you to actually put on metal. Um, monitors in the modern age, I'm guessing most monitors at least, um, do not have like metal, uh, edges to them. So it's not like something I could just like stick on there. I don't really have anything metal to put it where I would want the camera to be. Um, so what I ended up doing is I took, um, you know, like when you remove, uh, when you put something in your PC, you have to remove like that little metal bracket or something like that. And then you just kind of have that metal bracket because you, you know, you place it with the, with the card itself. Um, I took one of those and used like one of the mounting tapes that you get for like putting up picture frames on the wall and things like that. And I, and I put that on the top side of my monitor. <laughs> so it actually kind of like, kind of like corners off really nicely because the, the, uh, it has like a, a turn on the middle where, where the screw would go in. So it just kind of like fit right on the edge there. So I went ahead and mounted that to there and I put the camera on that and it sticks to that. So it's like, okay, cool. Good enough. <laughs> um, the big thing about not like mount, just doing like a mounting uh, tape directly to the actual, um, um, what's it called? Uh, monitor is one, if I need to remove it for any reason to like move it around or something like that, it'll be easier to do it that way. Um, and, 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 and with it being in the mounted position where it is right now, I can actually like shift that flap a little bit and like change the angle if I need to, for whatever reason. So, so glad to finally get that. That last webcam I got was like a raw guy S whatever. Um, I had gotten it because it was like really, um, inexpensive when I purchased it with like, uh, my, my new PC, it was like a surprisingly, like a pretty deep discount. Um, and maybe could for good reason, because even though it was technically like a 4k webcam, um, it, it, it just would not have the quality that I was particularly happy with. So, um, so really the biggest benefit I'm noticing so far is it just seems like there's less background noise at the moment. Um, so that's kind of nice. Uh, the, the one thing that I'm not so certain, certain about is like, I'm not really good at like balancing colors and things like that. And it definitely feels like the colors are different than what I had with the uh, Logitech C22 and C922 or something like that. I don't know what it's called. So I don't know if that's like just me you know, adjusting some settings or what. So anyway, so I got to um, update my uh, my layouts to to use the new webcam and, and stuff. But this is the first time I'm really using it. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start here and then <laughs> I'll probably just kind of patch it in as I need to later on. 
Um, this also means that other Logitech camera I have, I can go and permanently put at the other station I have over there rather than having to take it back and forth and like reset the settings every time I come back to this PC. That was kind of a pain. And, and I just knew I wanted to potentially look at upgrade to like a 10, a 1080p 60, um, setup for the camera itself. And, and I found a, a cheap enough deal that it made sense. So went ahead and did that. Uh, speaking of other stuff I bought, though, um, the Animal Crossing stuff I talked about last week, I think, is, is when I talked about that. So if you didn't, you weren't here last week, um, I ordered uh, Animal Crossing coasters from the My Nintendo's Reward program. Again, it's not really free because you have to pay the $5 shipping. But in uh, in ordering that, I also bought the Switch dock for the other station I have set up with the Animal Crossing characters on it. I decided to put that in the other room because where it would be positioned would be um, more visible. Than, than where my current switch stock is. So if I if I have it in that position, then um you know I, I basically get the nicer looking Animal Crossing dock um um sitting in there. So I went ahead and wired that up and everything. So um the the the, the big kind of drive in having a switch stock in there is to look at possibly doing more Nintendo Labo stuff there as well as Kaminazo as well. Um I I, I think the Labo. The Labo stuff might be a stream. Kaminazo will not. Kaminazo takes too much brain power to be a stream game, unfortunately, for me. So so I would really like to get back to Kaminazo and fi- finish that because I do really, really like that game. I just think a stream environment was not a good place for me to enjoy it because I feel the constant stress to have to like move forward. And that game is is not a game that you just sit down and like, you know, blast through and I'm not... Like, it's really hard for me to sit there and think when I'm talking to a chat and stuff as well. So there's like a collaborative process to some extent, which is kind of nice about doing it on stream. But I don't know if that's the way I want to experience that game. So I do want to do a recording of it, though. Um, I'm trying on the fence about starting over or not. It's been long enough that I might do that. I do need to go and like download the packet again. That would also mean printing out the packet again which wouldn't be super fun, but you know, it's like, it's like 40 to 50 pages worth of stuff. So, you know, not, not easy. Maybe just print out the first handful of pages again, something like that. So um, hopefully that website's still up and that PDF still available. Maybe I should upload that PDF to archive.org if it's still there, just to, to make sure for you, for you future Kaminazo fans out there that it's archived for you. <laughs> so, so we'll see about that. So anyway, so that, that all that stuff got there as well. I also had some late arriving Atokadol goods. Um, if you didn't know, I, a handful of weeks ago, I, um, uh, attended that online digital event for Atokadol where you could, uh, order Dojin goods. And actually they've been having in-person events again, which is kind of nice. They actually had like a really nice cozy one that seemed like a very, very small venue. I don't know if any other you know, uh, fan bases were there. It looked small enough that it it literally could have just been like maybe a Tokadol or Rekka Battle fans like coming together. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. I, I only saw like a handful of pictures from it. Um, so, uh, there was that little event that happened physically there. Um, but I, I ordered some Tokadol goods from the last digital event that was on Pick Squared. And I got the majority of those a couple weeks ago. And then the last set, unfortunately, like, so, so if you don't know how proxy shipping works, Basically, like when you when you order something in Japan and you ship it to their warehouse, um, there's like a particular set number of days they'll wait for you to like for you to ship that to yourself. And and um, it depends on different companies and things like that. But there's also something called the consolidation service with the consolidation service. Basically, it means they'll put all your your um, items into one package and ship it to you. You know, ideally, it saves you money. Um, It's kind of, you know. 
iffy i feel like a lot of times it depends on how much you're ordering and things like that so um so i was waiting and really hoping that all everything would arrive in time for that consolidate search to still happen and literally the day after i had to consolidate everything um that other package arrived like gosh dang it dang it so so i had to ship that one separately which meant it was quite a bit more expensive to ship it on its own um but anyway so i got that i got a series of postcards that i i really like from them and uh i want to go ahead and i got like a four fork postcard frame that i'm going to put them in i was hoping it'd be like a desk frame and, and i need to go back and look at the listing and maybe it's just me not reading purchase online purchases uh super well but i i'm pretty sure that the well at the time, I thought when I ordered that that frame, it was a desktop frame, but it's, it's definitely a hang-on-the-wall frame, so that's something I need to figure out either a place for it or try to find some way I can make it something that would fit, you know, on a, on a desktop or something. Um, so I have a handful of Atokodal postcards. Um, a couple of them I, I, I printed out from the 7-Eleven machines in Japan. So in 7-Eleven, they are like printing services. So what would happen is like at New Year's, uh, people would post their, their like fan art with a, a code. Then you could get it printed onto a, a postcard or something like that. So, um, that was like a, a, that's a really nice thing. I don't know if there's a way to do that in the U.S. Like if you find someone with a Japanese code, print that out you know, over here, I'm going to guess probably not, um, without like going through, you know, somebody in Japan, getting them to do it and shipping it to you, but I could be wrong. So anyway, so I have that. Um, I don't like hanging stuff on the walls, not because I don't want stuff on my walls. I just don't know how to do it well. So, so I'd rather just like throw it on a desk, but realistically my walls are very bare. So it probably would make sense to hang some stuff up. Although I don't like hang, have enough to hang up that like it would, I don't know. It, it looks a little weird because I have a couple things hanged up, but not a lot. So there's like these big gaps of space on my wall. And I'm not good at like, like the housing design stuff and things like that. So, you know, all that, that good stuff. So anyways, all that aside, purchasing aside, let's talk about actual video games that happened. An actual video game I played. Hey guys, you remember a game called Walk It Out that I purchased a, a while ago? I think last year. Um, when I was at, uh, uh, there's a local store here called, uh, uh, what are they called actually? Retro, ret what are they called? There's, ah, I forget their name. Dang it. They're on like the, the east side of town here. Um, but anyways, that, that, that aside. Um, so I went ahead and got a copy of Walk It Out. And initially I wasn't like, so the reason I picked up Walk It Out is because it very much fits in that kind of like family series game. So like Family Jockey, which we just talked about recently, Whiskey, things like that. Um, however, it's a Konami game, so it's not actually a part of that series. It is a, a separate thing that Konami did. And if you don't know, previously I had played a game called like Winter Sports, and the way they marketed Winter Sports was very much like Whiskey is successful. Try to trick people into buying this over Whiskey, basically. If you look at the box art for that game compared to the actual art in game and compare it to Whiskey's box art, the, the aesthetic of the box art looks more like Whiskey than it looks like the actual game that, that was made. Um, made by Bullfrog, I think, actually. Not Bullfrog. Uh, what are they called? It's the Cursed Mountains developers, weirdly enough. They have like a little frog in their logo. Bullfrog is Peter, Peter, Peter Molyneux's old company. Um, yeah, what was that called? It's some kind of frog logo. That's all I really remember at the time, but Curse Mountain developer. So it was made by them. Um, and, and the game itself is not very good quality. I've looked at some other Konami games that kind of fit in that same space. And most of them look pretty bad, at least looking at them. I, I, I have not played them yet. 
But when I looked at Walk It Out, I was like, Walk It Out looks like an actual video game that somebody made and like was like trying to make a, a video game. And, 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 and sitting down and playing it, I think I can say with full confidence that it very much fits in that style. So if you're familiar with, you know, we fit in the jogging mode in that, it feels very similar to that. You're basically, you know, walking in place um, uh, while you're playing this game. And and unlike um, um, like the Wii Fit jogging and things like that, this game paces you through music. So so basically you are walking to the beat of music. So it's a rhythm walking game. Um, so you basically have this like tempo at the top left corner of the screen and you basically need to walk with the tempo of the song. When it switches songs, you just walk to the, that tempo of that new song. And, and as you walk and, and, and hit the tempo, um, you build a score and that score is used to build the town. So this town is for the most part completely desolate. Um, without you building anything, which I think is kind of a negative early on because the town just, the, the, the island just feels super empty. That's kind of the point because you're building it, but, um, it just feels like early on there's not a lot to see. And I think it gives like a bad first impression. But, anyways, as you sit there and start building this town out using points, um, you know, people start to show up. You, you, you have more buildings and things like that. And this town is like surprisingly very big. Um, so, uh, basically what you, what you do is just walk around, you can walk wherever you want. You're on like these on rail paths and, and just basically, you know, choose which direction you want to go. Sometimes they're locked off paths based off how many walking points you've gotten. You have to like, you know, pay to unlock them, things like that. But, but basically you're just walking around and building up points and then building items, um, in the environment. And it, and it works, I think pretty well. Um, I think what, when, when you think about it from like an actual, like, again, I'm not, I don't know anything about exercising. Look, look at me. Look at this pudgy boy. Um, I don't know anything about like real exercising, but um, what one nice thing about it is that it forces you to shift to like your walking speed, which is something that I think um, I don't do very well. I think you're supposed to kind of like go slow, then go fast, go slow, then go fast kind of thing. I don't know for sure. Again, I don't know anything about walking or exercising beyond just like maybe I should move my body more kind of things. Um, but it does force you to kind of do that based off the songs. Um, and so, so you have these songs that definitely feel a lot more like intensive than you have kind of like cool down songs, but I don't know if they're like really lining these up in a way that, you know, actually are like, Hey, we're going to have a, 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 a fast paced set of songs and cool you down at some point. It feels kind of random. So sometimes it's like you get a bunch of songs in a row that are just like, you better be jogging boy. If you want to keep up to this rhythm. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's, it's been pretty fun and, and it has, you know, a lot of, I think, I, I know there's like a black eyed peas song in there or anything. I think there's probably a few, you know, kind of mainstream songs they license licensed. I get the feeling. I don't know DDR and like Konami's music library super well outside of what's in a toke at all. Um, but I get the feeling a lot of this music is DDR music or at least stuff they have licensed from DDR music. I could be wrong. Again, have not looked at this, but that's just my feeling. It feels a lot of like Eurobeat kind of stuff and, 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 and things like that. And so I think like if you are looking for a game that has a diverse library of music, I think there's like 130 songs in the game. I think is what it's advertised as. I think you're going to get, you know, dips into that kind of, um, DDR space. But otherwise, you know, you also have the Black Eyed Peas. The music, I don't remember the name of the song, but there's like this Black Eyed Peas song that's like boom, 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 tucka, 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 boom, boom, boom. And like some of the lyrics are like super, super ridiculous. <laughs> it was the first thing I got. And maybe that's like the intention is like, hey, we want you to have the black eyed peas first and foremost. But like, I, I was just like, 
I could not stop laughing at the song because the, the lyrics are so crazy. And then like the fact that you're like having to sit there and walk and beat with it. Something just felt like something like it just felt really stupid. And I was like, man, this is a moment I'm living in and I'm okay with this. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's really kind of cute and fun. There's like this little narrator that shows up that has really weird voice acting and really weird dialogue. When you're like creating your character, which is not really a real character creator, it's just kind of like choose different, some different colors, choose your skin color and choose your gender, basically. Um, or like body type, I think is how they, 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 they position it. And, um, the character, when you, when you're first telling them, like, they're like, I want to, I want to learn about you. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> Don't worry. I won't ask you about any girlfriends or boyfriends or anything like that. I promise. And then like you're going through the creation process. And at the end, she's like, great. I've saved your character. Just don't forget who you are. Ha 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 ha. It's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's written in a really strange way. And the voice actor is like very weird sounding. There's also a guy, uh, uh, Walker, our narrator. I have not, uh, used him yet. Um, so, but there's not that much voice dialogue outside of the initial tutorial. And then when you finish your day, they will make comments on, on your walking. So like, Hey, you are more of like, they make comments on, well, they make comments on your walking. Like you got this many perfect timings. You got this many great timings. You did this many steps. Like also you built this many things and things like that. So they will, they will voice some aspects of that. Um, and, and some of the dialogues kind of out of order in a weird way, like that you go through all your results and then like you get to the end screen where you're like moving on. And then I think at that point they go, here are your results, which is something you would say at the start of that typically, but they say it at the end and then they're like, okay, bye bye now <laughs> kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but, um, it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, I think it's a lot more than I expected. Um, and, and I do think it's like really, really enjoyable overall. So what's one, one interesting thing about this game is you're probably like, okay, Ben, Wii game, you're moving, you're up and moving. How's it tracking this? How's it tracking you? Are you moving your arms? What's happening? So what, what happens? So if you don't know, and, and we, uh, we fit when you do the jogging section, you put the Wii remote in your pocket and then you jog. It's a very bizarre thing, but you do it. Um, this game does something even more bizarre. Um, let's actually talk about the less bizarre thing first. So it has support for Konami's DDR pad, which I believe is a GameCube controller um, uh, connector. So I think you need to have an older Wii with a GameCube controller port for that. And then it also has support for the balance board. Those are probably more accurate tracking tools. Um, the biggest problem you're going to run into with those, and then this is like a problem with like games like Active Life, the series and things like that, is, you know, actually keeping, you know, your your feet on the on the pad for like the DDR pad and making sure you're hitting the exact buttons they want you to hit. Because if you like start to veer off as you're walking in place, then you'll end up, you know, essentially off the pad and then he doesn't track correctly, all that stuff. That's a problem with Active Life, at least for me. Maybe I just don't have a good sense of balance. I don't know. We, we balance board. The issue I expect with that is when you get to the faster songs, and this is just an anticipated thing, not something I've experienced. I don't have a Wii balance board right now. I really need to get one. Um, but the, the thing I anticipate is, um, you know, the balance board is an elevated surface. And if you are having to do these more faster movement, like jogging things, at least for me, I find it easier to like lift my foot up like pretty significantly before I press down. So like I, I would worry that there might be like a potential that you might fall off or something like that. And the, the, the faster ones, again, maybe just a balance thing for me. I don't know. Again, I don't I haven't even used the balance board. Just as me predicting. So what I think is the least accurate way, but probably the most interesting way that they do this is they track your walking with the nunchuck, 
Very few Wii games really rely on the nunchuck. If they use the nunchuck, it's an addition to what you're doing with the Wii remote. Very few games are like, hey, the nunchuck is serving a primary function here. So how it works is you have the Wii remote that you keep in your hand, you connect the nunchuck, and you put the nunchuck in your pocket. It creates some problems with some menus because they actually do track the analog stick movement. And so if you're, the analog stick gets like caught in your pants, then it will, uh, it will like drift the cursor. Um, but anyway, so it uses the nunchuck to track your walking. And I will be straightforward with you. I, I get the feeling, you know, maybe my rhythm's off. I don't know. I get the feeling this is not the most accurate way to track the walking or whatever. However, it does give you that freedom to kind of move around as you want. You don't have to worry about staying on a pad or something like that. And, and while you get penalties for, for failing to, to hit a, a note at the right time, it's very minor penalties and you can turn them off too. So if it really does bother you, you can turn off any penalties and just only get points rather than lose any. Um, but, but it's very minor penalties. So it's not really a big deal. And so it's really interesting that it uses the nunchuck in your pocket. I, I don't know many other games that do that. Um, and so the, the reason why it uses a nunchuck rather than a Wii remote is because when you're walking around town, you can be able to point at things on screen and build it. I personally find this a very difficult thing to do at times. I sometimes will stop and stand and build things that way. But when you're standing, um, you're missing the rhythm. So you actually take deductions to your points. So if I'm, if I'm going to build a bunch of stuff and I have a ton of extra points, I don't worry about it too much. I'll stop, build all the things I want and then get moving again. Um, but if you're like trying to build while walking, it's actually pretty challenging in my opinion to actually like do that at the same time kind of thing. So anyways, I had fun with it, enjoyed it. Um, and I need to play some more of it. Um, I, I mainly have been playing it like later at night. So I need to try doing a, a daytime thing at some point. I've only been playing at, it, it follows real life time. Although they have like a magic timer in the game where you can change the time of day if you really want to. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you're into like weird Wii motion stuff and, and that kind of like, you know, more casual audience, like family fitness kind of thing, I think it's a really interesting game to look at. Um, and I would definitely recommend it. It does not have the charm of something like Wii Ski, at least initially. Again, the towns feel very drab, um, but it feels like it's trying to replicate that style in some ways. And maybe you'll get to the point where there is some more character to the game, but I get the feeling it's probably going to be, you know, just visual backdrops and you're not going to get any like character interactions or anything like that, which I think is an important thing in Wii Ski is that it does build a sense of community on that, 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 you know, ski resort island or, or, or mountain kind of thing. So. That happened. Video games happened. Can confirm. <laughs> um, so, so I played that. Um, I also spent some time this week working on the Sparkling Feather English Guide. Uh, I've been working on the scripts for that in the Galaxy Frolin Yuna video. Still trying to figure out what those are going to look like in the end. Um, if you don't know, I've been really wanting to inject my opinion a little more in those PCFX videos. So I'm trying to figure out the best place to do that. And like, part of me wants to put it towards the end of just like, hey, here's how I feel after I've told you about how you can play this game. But when I think about like a game, like 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 the video I did for Nintendoji, I think people want to know the why first. And like, I don't really necessarily want that to be the leading part of that video being my opinion. I don't want to tell you not to play those games. But, um, you know, I think there's, I think probably will have to lead with like, here's how I feel about this game and what I think is interesting about this game and why I think it's relevant. Now, if you want to play it, here you go. So that makes it more of like a review to some degree, which I was kind of trying to avoid with those videos, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, especially since there's not very many like 
opinions about games online and the way I approach them typically is a little different than other people who who you know just pop a game in and just mess with it and say can I figure this out yes no okay bad game if it's if I can't so so I think there's value to it I just got to figure out how that's going to work format wise um, but I did also go ahead and create a like little uh, command list guide. So, you know, one thing I think about sometimes is like, you know, how I talk about using machine translation a lot. And while it's valuable to have um, using machine tra- translation active real time while you're playing a video game is something that makes sense for me because I play video games at a computer desk, even my console games. Um, I think a lot of people do not do that, though. So machine translation, how much does that work? in a like couch setting is another thing. So what's nice about the command list sheet is that it is something that you can just pull up on your phone and see what those, uh, uh, you know, buttons do. And, and a big problem with, with, uh, sparkling feathers command list is that because you're not giving direct orders to what, to people, um, it's difficult to figure out, you know, the, you don't get a lot of feedback from what each option does. Right. So, so, I wanted to give those details so people don't sit there and be questioning. Cause like, otherwise you just select one of them. And it's like, I don't know what this did. I just know the character talked. And then like, depending on if they're happy or not, sometimes they, something happens. Sometimes they don't. It's just too hard to, to uh, like break out what people are doing without machine translating the guide and things like that. So machine translating the guide was like a big help, honestly, for me. Cause that made it so it's like, Oh, I know how to, I, I can actually direct these troops and things like that or the manual. Sorry. Machine translating the manual. Um, so you can, I know how to like direct these troops and things like that. So, um, I want that to be something you can just have on your phone. I built it in a, uh, uh, vertical 1920 by 1080 format or 1080 by 1920 format. Um, so you can have it on your phone. I'm trying to keep it large enough that you don't have to like pinch and zoom on things. And I think for combat specifically, you know, I want to do that because those are the items that are harder to figure out where things like using items, there's icons that pretty clearly identify what they do, power ups in terms of like, buffing characters like like decreasing defense of enemies debuffing characters things like that so like those things like sure it'd be helpful to know more about them but you can get what you need out of them it's the command list is the thing you do not get feedback on so that's the purpose of that the other thing i need to do is go through and um make a dating guide based off how i dated like the characters um not because i necessarily know that's the like 100% right way to get the good ending but the, the the way i did it i got the good ending whether that's the requirement or not i i think that is a big part of it so like that is my my suspicion so i need to put together a dating guide and just be like this is what i did when and 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 here are the answers i gave to these characters unfortunately the questions you can ask characters during dates is random are randomized so you know it it not it won't necessarily you know, be, be flawless for everyone there. You're going to have to kind of figure it out. And, and I think Sparkling Feather is a game that I'm going to heavily recommend emulating so you can get safe states. Um, because I think that's going to be pretty key of anyone who wants to get a good ending. If you're playing on real hardware, you have to then reset your console over and over. It's, it's complicated. I'll get into it in the video. Sparkling Feather is not an easy game to sit down and try to 100%. So it takes a lot of, well, it's, it's easy. But it's time consuming. So, and I think, I think a lot of people do not have the, the, the patience to do, do what I did for that. So anyways, uh, and then I also am going to upload my entire playthrough as well. I did try to upload that this week. However, it's like 14 hours for my, my, I cut down the playthrough. So it is entirely like, this is only the relevant sections where I got the dating right and everything. Um, but it still came out to about 14 hours and apparently YouTube has a 12 hour cap. So I need to split it in half and upload it. Um, so at some point I will do that. I just have to re-render everything, which you can imagine re-rendering out another 14 hours of footage is not fun. 
Um, I'm sure my GPU absolutely loves it. So, so yeah. Um, and then I also have been playing, uh, Crime Crackers on stream. Uh, I think I've kind of expressed my opinion about this on, on stream a little bit. And it's that the, the level design of Crime Crackers is a little, um, uh, static and like 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 a lot of what they ask you to do feels very samey so we're about halfway through the game and i would say the levels are starting to show variety in terms of what they want you to do in those environments and things like that and um there's a couple levels i think did a pretty good job with this there's one way it's like go through like a pyramid and do a bunch of like different tasks in there to proceed i think that's a good level however on this last stream it was a level full of elevators and then a level that was like you had to navigate it with basically no map whatsoever and no weapons. So you have to like run away from enemies and you have to find one specific room with your item items in it that you have to pick up and that would let you progress. But it is a ridiculously huge maze and like maybe look again, I don't read Japanese. Maybe there's information that they gave to you that helped you find that stuff. So there's that part um, that I have to always be very considerate of to make sure that, you know, when I think about what's being communicated or what could be communicated to me, you know, I can better understand, you know, what faults are, are me playing a Japanese game versus the game itself. I, I get the feeling this is one of those things that like, I can't think of anything they could have told me text wise that would have helped me navigate that dungeon. Maybe I was missing something. I get the feeling that I was just had to blindly go and find my, my stuff in there. Because it, it, it's all the same. There are no landmarks, no nothing. And like, like, like there's so many different directions. You don't have a map. You don't have a compass. So like, you can't be like, oh, it's on the northeast side of this area. Because like, where's northeast? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. that, that just like, I, I have to really wonder. Um, but yeah, I did not really like this last set of missions we did in the last stream. Um, still got half the game left, though. So there's plenty of time for improvement, though. So, so yeah. Um, and then, oh, I forgot I actually tacked this on at the end here. I actually played one more game this weekend. Very short bit of time. It's one of those games that you can't really beat per se. Is I played Game and Watch Collection Two for the Nintendo DS, which, if you don't know, this is one of those Club Nintendo Game and Watch collections that they 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 gave out. And I only got the second one, not the first one. I never looked in to see how expensive they are, but um, you'd get this as you know, basically replacing the My Nintendo Reward System. You you would get these physical Club Nintendo games from time to time. There's a large variety of other ones of these as well. Um, um, for, for Nintendo DS specifically, like Tingle's, uh, Balloon Trip. Um, he also had like a, a voice activated, like Sentai game kind of thing in Japan. So there's a lot of all these, these other kind of like physical full games. They would, well, not full games, but like mini games they would send you. Anyway, so what this actual game is, is a collection of two Game & Watch games, uh, Octopus and Parachute. And it is not like Game & Watch collection or, uh, a Game & Watch gallery, where they have, um, like Mario themed versions of these. These are pretty much straight, like, replications of Parachute and Octopus. So, Parachute, basically, you have this boat that goes across the bottom of the screen. You can go between, like, three or four different positions, and there's a helicopter, and guys parachute out of it, and you gotta go ahead and collect them all. So, you have to make sure you do it in the right order. They have different trajectories they fall out with. So, you know, someone who falls at a lower trajectory, um, you know, may still land before somebody falls at the higher trajectory. So you as the player just basically needs to time it in a way that you can basically, you know, line up the order of which you need to collect these uh, parachuters. There's two modes for each of these games as well. So parachute, 
The mode A is very straightforward. You just have characters dropping down. Um, and in mode B, there's actually a little extra wrinkle where the characters with the lowest trajectory um, can get caught on a tree and they get stuck there. And the st- how long they're stuck there for is not like st- a set amount of time. It's like different intervals, basically. So you're sitting there waiting for them to get unstuck from the tree and like other characters are like falling down. You're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then you have to just like basically make a split second decision of like, am I going to wait at this tree for this guy to fall out or am I going to go collect the other people? And, and I honestly kind of don't like that mechanic because it's like really hard to tell. And like, I've definitely had times where like, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting that the last, what I perceive is the last possible second to go collect the other guy. Um, the parachute guy in the tree falls down. So I'm already moving away. And then he drops down in the water after that. So yeah, it is a, it is a little challenging. Um, so I played that for a while. I got like a score of around like 200, I think on parachute specifically. And then the other game in there is Octopus. And Octopus, um, is one of those games where basically you have a, one of those games. I don't, I don't know if there's many other games like Octopus per se. Um, but basically you move left and right underwater. Um, and then you also can climb up onto a boat. So you actually, you start in the boat and then you climb into the water. There's a giant octopus down there. His tentacles are going around and then he has a treasure chest below him. And what you do as a character is, or what you do is you basically go from your boat down to under the octopus and you collect the gold under the octopus, but his different arms are sitting out at different lengths all the time. So you have to keep an eye on those arms. Sometimes the arm behind you that will close off your escape path when the other arm starts coming down. So you have to kind of like judge that based on the speed of how far, how fast the arms of the octopus are extending. And then you can get bonus points um, by taking the, the gold you have and taking it up to the, um, to the, the boat. Um, there's a mode B for this. And honestly, I do not remember what was different about mode B other than just, it was faster. Yeah, I can't think of anything. Um, but one thing I do like about Octopus and Game Watch Gallery, so the ones where they actually put like the Mario characters in there, is that there's actually a weight aspect to it as well. So you go and collect gold as Mario underneath the octopus. But when you try to go back, depending on how much gold you have, the slower you move. So so the actual bonus point you get for surfacing in that version of the game is actually a lot better. But unfortunately, that one's not in, in this game. So, And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I like base octopus. I like Game Watch Gallery octop- octopus, I'm pretty sure. Maybe I need to go back and play and make sure. But I think base octopus on its own not a huge fan of, unfortunately. So I only got a score of around like 80 on that one. Nothing great. Um, you know, feel like that's okay. And actually 93, I think was like the highest score I got. Cause remember I was trying to get a hundred. I think that's the closest I got. So yeah. So there's those two games in there and on its own, maybe seem not very exciting. Um, but there's also a bonus mode in these where they combine two game and watch games. So those two games that I mentioned before get combined. So you basically, you know, there's the boat aspect. That's like the similar, you know, connection between those two so you basically go and you play parachute and then at some point um the the the, there's like a marker that appears you can go and uh, go underwater and go get gold so you save people go down try to get gold and kind of the neat interaction this has actually specifically is one you know you have to make sure like there's no real real stress into going down going into the octopus space like like if, if you just stay up top as far as i can tell like nothing will bad will happen but if you're underwater collecting gold and the helicopter comes back 
you really have to like rush back up or else it'll stop start dropping people and if you're still underwater you can't go collect them although your boat will automatically collect pe- people if it's in the 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 right slot at the top it only you can only leave it in the leftmost slot so so i think that's the only spot you can actually leave it but if they drop in that leftmost slot you do have some like uh leeway there cuz they'll still fall in the ship but what what's neat about this mode specifically other than the back and forth there is when you collect gold um you know depending on how much you collect um, at once when you go back up the bonus is significantly multiply or significantly multiplies the number of points you get when you rescue people so the amount of gold seems to add a multiplier to the people a multiplier to the people you rescue on top and it's a really cool dynamic there um i i don't know if i got like super high score on that or anything like that um and then i believe mode b just reintroduces that parachute thing where they get stuck on the edge there if you play in mode b for that so Anyways, I think it's like 800 coins at the time, which was pretty expensive for my Nintendo or Club Nintendo rewards back then. Um, you know, and give it the fact that they're like making an entire cartridge for you with a case and everything um, makes a lot of sense that it would be a, a, a large number of coins. Um, you don't really get those physical copy games anymore these days. Even towards the end of the lifespan, like Nintendoji was a DSiWare thing, so they didn't want to give you a physical copy, right? So, um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. And like, pardon me, if I ever saw Collection 1 for like a reasonable price, I probably would check it out. Um, I've not looked into it recently, but I get the feeling they're probably not reasonably priced. Could be wrong about that, but who can say? But anyways... So I played that this weekend, had a good time with that. Played it like an hour and a half, something like that. I was listening to, uh, I'm still getting through Reggie's book. I, I I got the audiobook version of that. So I've been listening to him go through that. I'm about like maybe about halfway through, a little over halfway. Got through all basically his history at this point, And now we're just at the Nintendo stuff at this point. So um, really enjoying that book though. I think it's definitely, the, the first half is very like, just kind of like, do you want to be a business manager kind of thing? So if you are, you know, um, looking for cool Nintendo facts, like there's a little bit at the beginning that's focused on Nintendo, but once you start getting into like his childhood and things like that, you know, the connection starts to wane from Nintendo for a while. You know, this is about him, not Nintendo, right? So, so it's not until about halfway through the book that he like actually is like talks about getting hired at Nintendo, things like that. But I think the first half is p- particularly interesting. Um, or, or the first, I think the first half is interesting from like a business standpoint. The way the second half is more of just like, hey, Nintendo stuff. And it is interesting to hear, like, there's definitely business recommendations in, in the second half with the Nintendo stuff, but you get to hear like how they put E3 press conferences together, the decisions makings they had, his interactions with Iwata, things like that. I think it's a really good thing to listen to. It's not that expensive either. I think it's like 15 bucks for the audiobook version. Um, and I, I got it on like the Play Store or something like that. So, so yeah, I don't know how much the book itself is on its own for that. So, oh, this has been a long podcast already. Now it's Patreon time. We, we have a pretty short news section here afterwards, though. So I think we're, we're, we're getting towards the end here, despite us technically hitting the halfway point of the show. Hello, I have a Patreon. One Controller Port is my website, and it has a Patreon associated with it. <laughs> so if you want to, you can you can donate at the $5 level and get bonus content, like this week. This week, you get a uh, commentary on my first re- video review that I ever did, baseball. So basically watch that, provide some commentary for that. It's interesting to see how ridiculously sparse that baseball review was. <laughs> um, so... So I had fun doing that. So that's going to go up this week on, uh, I believe, Wednesday is when that's going live. Um, and then uh, if you, last time I had the PCFX GA card installation thing that happened. So $5 level, you get that bonus content there. Um, however, if you do the $3 level, and then obviously anyone above that um, can also do this as well, um, you can actually uh, ask a question. 
<clears throat> so this week's Patreon people are are the three usuals, discreet, Jillian, Paul Daniel, um, and and Jillian asked the question of what were your favorite games as a kid, and um, Paul Daniel actually did give a response to this. Uh, he said that he really liked Star Raiders on the Atari eight bit computers, which I did take a look at this game. I, I was thinking it was like. I think that when I think of like spaceship games on the Atari, I think of like, I think it's called Solaris, which is like a really impressive looking kind of behind the back uh, spaceship flight game with like, you know, jumping between, you know, warp or black holes or warp, warp holes or something like that, wormholes and stuff. It looks pretty neat. Um, but this is definitely Star Raiders is actually really cool looking too. It's very much like a first person cockpit space game. And, you know, everything kind of feels like it exists within a 3D space, you know, but how they communicate that is just like through the, like the little stars speckling about. So it's like really impressive for, you know, what you're doing with the Atari and then having the player kind of fill in the gaps with their own, you know, uh, imagination of, of what this 3D space looked like. So it looks like a very cool game. I have not played many Atari games in my life, unfortunately. So don't have a ton of appreciation for that stuff or at least i I have not i have not conditioned myself to the point that i have like a ton of like experience maybe appreciation appreciation is maybe not the right word experience for that stuff um so at some point i would like to play more of that stuff especially with how short a lot of it is i could probably sit down and get through like quite a few things in a a period of time though i do i do think there's like a level commitment you need to have to some degree like i am glad i spent like an hour and a half to two hours with game watch collection to you know do i need to spend more time with it than that i don't know about that i just spent a lot of time with game watch gallery as a kid but you know being a kid you're just trying to waste time to some degree or just have a good time i guess um where 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 with uh today i'm like trying to move from game to game to game right so anyways uh so in terms of my personal favorite games as a kid you know i was pretty much a nintendo kid um and so you know i i kind of played the usuals there's not a lot of like super special things there you know you have like on the super nintendo i liked mario paint a lot um that was a big one um this came later but i liked pocky and rocky quite a bit on the on the super nintendo as well i don't have a lot of affinity for like some of the games i played as a kid like donkey kong country super mario world things like that i think i just am so exposed to them all the time that like i just don't have a lot of like like personal i don't have like any like warm feelings about those games really i guess i don't know um nintendo 64 i was a big fan of like you know mario kart 64 played a ton of that smash brothers like all this stuff is just kind of the usual stuff. Uh, Age of Empires 2 on PC was a big game as a kid when I was playing that. StarCraft, but I only played the create a, create a map thing. So like the fan-made maps. Um, that was like really interesting. Uh, and then, you know, a variety of MMOs. Talk about Fantasy Star Online a little bit last week. Um, played a lot of that and, and really enjoyed that as a kid. Final Fantasy XI in my teenage years was a huge thing. You know, basically spent, you know, a whole year of my teenage life on that game. Like, literally, it was like, or at least logged in, you know, I, I was logged in for like 400, I think I have like 420 days or something like that, 420, uh, but um, 400 something days in Final Fantasy Eleven. that's like actually logged in and, and probably well over 300 of those days was between being 14 and 18, basically. So, um, really enjoyed uh, uh, that as well. But, you know, it's one of those things that like when I, I really didn't have really distinct tastes distinct is that the right word i'm looking for my taste didn't really like kind of start veering off from like the usual tastes until um until i was 18 you know 2008 you know i was playing mario kart wii and i was just like i kind of 
I kind of just think Mario Kart Wii is okay. Like it's more Mario Kart. And, and I think <laughs> in some ways, like honestly, maybe I bit like, 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 and, 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 and listening to Reggie's book about, you know, him talking about the Blue Ocean strategy thing again, like playing or like making, you know, games for people who, who, who's like a, not the typical market and things like that. And like, I, I don't like, because I was a huge Nintendo fanboy, like I was thinking about Blue Ocean strategy, even though I was like, you know, 16 or whatever. And like, what, what did I know about, Blue and strategy, right? But uh, the, I I think I I kind of bought into that message that like video games needed to do something new, cool, unique, and different at the time, and I felt like maybe those kind of mainstream Nintendo games were not really getting, or those mainline Nintendo games were not really giving me what I wanted out of that a lot of times. And I think Mario Kart Wii was one of those, and I think that's where games like Blue Stinger come into play in my life of just like oh. Blue Singer is not necessarily a good video game, but it is incredibly entertaining. And that's like different. And that feels different. And, and, but like, and, and just because a game isn't like the definition of what would be like a magazine review good doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be a fun, entertaining, valuable game that you play. Um, and, and, and something worth checking out, in my opinion. So. Um, that's kind of, I think, uh, part of what, when when I started going down that line with that stuff. So, anyways, a lot of boring answers there. <laughs> um, trying to think if there's anything else that really I can highlight, but it's just the usual Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, at my MMO obsessions. Like, there's just not a lot of unique things in there. And, like, I think that's part of what makes me, like, less interested thinking about what I enjoyed as a kid, per se, um, though I do like, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. I've talked to a handful of people about this recently. I have nostalgia for the Nintendo DS, which, which makes sense. You know, 14 years old, you know, that's the age of nostalgia for, for that thing. I do not like the idea of nostalgia, whether that's right or wrong is a whole other thing. But personally, I view nostalgia as a bad thing when it comes to me personally, other people, you can do what you want with that. Like, if you if nostalgia makes you feel good, that's fine. I think where things start getting weird is when nostalgia impacts your view of a game in a way that can muddle what you view as, like, a quality experience. Metroid Prime Hunters, very good example. I have a lot of nostalgia for Metroid Prime Hunters. I do not necessarily think Metroid Prime Hunters is a good video game. However... I'm at odds with this because I know what I like about Metroid Prime Hunters is the bounty hunting aspect. I like the different bounty hunters in the world. And I like that the the different characters in, in Metroid that regard. And, and as, as somebody who is a not really huge into Metroid itself and kind of wish that Metroid had more characters in it, having a game that focuses on those characters, I think was uh, a lot very appealing to me. So there are reasons I like Metroid Prime Hunters for sure. But I do know when I sit down and like look and think about Metroid Prime Hunters, I get a little extra something in there that I don't want to be there. And I like I try to like I try to filter that out. I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here, buddy. Get out. Um, so I think that's been a concern of mine lately. But I think the fact that I recognize that as a concern of mine is what's important, right? Um, and you know, this kind of is gonna get into one of our news stories later. I think the big thing is I don't look at the DS era as like, this is better than other eras. I think this is like where I really have a lot of problem with people who are like, 
Like, video games were best in this generation. PS3, 360, best in that generation. Super Nintendo, best in that generation. And I think there are always benefits and negatives to any generation, any constant generation. And, and there's definitely, th- like, you can look at, like, the Super Nintendo era and definitely say it's, like, a golden age of 2D gaming because that's where people were master masters of that craft before they got shifted over to 3D and stuff like that, right? And I, I think you could say the same thing about late era 360 slash PS3 games is that that's where people really started to master the craft of the modern video game in terms of, like, a single-player experience kind of thing. Um, and then live games have kind of, you know, changed what that is quite a bit um, since then. But it's just like there's different good things and bad things about each of those generations. And I think as long as you have that in mind, you you are pretty safe um, I think it's when you start thinking this is a better generation than this other generation objectively, that's where you start having problems. Um, and so, you know, I, I try very hard not to think about that too much. Now, that, that, that's not to say you can't like particular eras of things happening, but I think it's just the inherent this is a better era, like objectively and, and or something like that is, is kind of a a different thing, I think. It's just like the industry's changing all the time. There's different challenges, different needs, all that kind of stuff. So um, where am I going with that? Patreon.com. Thank you again so much for you guys joining with the Patreon. I appreciate the support you have. If you're interested in getting some more bonus content, you can sign up at that $5 level, just like our other three Patreons have, patrons have. Um, so we've uh, been trying to do more video content there. So if you are interested in seeing some video content, I am doing that. Some of that bleeds over into newer stuff I'm doing for the YouTube channel. I'm trying out different things on the Patreon and seeing how that stuff works and then bringing that over to the new YouTube channel or to the main YouTube channel as well. So again, I'll keep you updated on that. I will at some point probably, once I have a a decent enough amount of content available on the Patreon, um, I'll probably make some of those videos for free. Initially, I put a free trial of content out for audio, video content, written content, things like that, you know, um, so, or mainly audio content, actually. Uh, I put those out for free, but that was because it was like kind of pre-launch for the Patreon and nobody was subscribed to the Patreon at the time. Now that people are actually paying money for the Patreon, I don't necessarily just want to like start giving out stuff for free and make them feel like they didn't get their money's worth kind of thing. Um, so I want to make sure that before I put out anything at, for free, that I, I really make sure that I've, I've presented enough value there. I can pick out the items I want to highlight. Like, here's the direction of this content, but still not like be cannibalizing the content that people have paid for um, too much in that regard. So, and then at that time, I'll go ahead and put a, a YouTube video up that that is like, hey, by the way, for people who don't actually listen to the podcast and stuff, I have a Patreon if you want to join in for some extra content. So, Whew. all right. Let's try to wrap this up quick. We got two news story news stories I want to talk about. Thankfully, very straightforward, very easy news stories for the most part. Some of this is going to line up with what we already talked about to some degree. Um, and that is one, Sega basically said in their financial report that they're working on some like remasters slash remakes. There's been some rumors lately that they're making a new Jet Set Radio or Crazy Taxi game that's a part of their Super Game Initiative. If you haven't heard about this, basically they want to make some like... Like, I guess it's like almost like a metaverse kind of thing, but in the gaming space, similar to like the Gundam one out there and things like that, um, where, where you have a bunch of games like connected to each other in a network 
essentially, um, almost like PlayStation Home-ish in some ways. That is the, the so-called direction of that. I don't think that Sega has said anything in particular outside of Microsoft will be hosting the services for this super game on the cloud. But there's been talks about them bringing back those two genres. I'm personally in favor of that, even if it's a part of this like super game initiative. You know, I'm somebody who's like, hey, if you can find a way to revive these properties in new and interesting ways, go for it. You know, I think it's going to be really hard to 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 pitch a crazy taxi these days, Jet Set Radio these days, um, at the budget level that like Sega probably needs to make it worthwhile their time without just maybe like a, a you know licensing it to a different developer or something like that, which may be something that'd be worth doing at some point as well. Um, I'm personally still really hopeful that someday there'll be like a Skies of Arcadia HD re-release. I think Skies of Arcadia is a great game, um, and it's kind of tragic that it's locked on the Dreamcast and, and GameCube. I'd love to see that show up on Steam at least, so it has a long-term life um, um, for likes for people to check that game out, because I think it's a great JRPG that unfortunately just is not very accessible. So not a lot to say there, but thought it was worth mentioning to some degree. I just wish that, hope it's not, you know, more Sega Genesis games. Sega Genesis fans, I love you. You have so much content. Please, let's have some other video games that are from Saturn or Dreamcast era or some other, like, reboots of franchises or weirder franchise reboots. I'd be okay with that. If you bring back a Vector Man thing, like, okay, cool. If you're making Vector Man 3D, sure, whatever, man. (laughs) I just don't want another, like, Sonic release with Sonic Origins being a thing. Like, okay, they're adding things to Sonic Origins. There's value to this, but, oh, my gosh, do we really need more Sonic from a business perspective, we do need more Sonic. But from like a re-releasing games perspective, it's just very uh, boring for me personally. I'm not the market. I am weird dude over here in the corner saying, "Look, make your games worse so I'm happier." <laughs> so, or, or make them in, in ways that don't necessarily guarantee quality. I'm not here for quality per se. I'm here to make for interesting ideas. Give me something cool. Give me cool video games. That's what I want. Um, and then the other story here is not really anything big. There was kind of a little hubbub about this. I don't really get why there was. Um, so Nintendo basically had their financial results. Cool stuff going on in there. Interesting thing, Live Alive is being published by Nintendo in, in the US and Europe. I don't know if I knew that in the past, but that's interesting bit of information. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, in that though, they, they mentioned, uh, their, their hardware successor. Uh, and, and talking about that, that, what that process will, will maybe look like and really not like any real details than just saying that basically we want to avoid the transition we had from Wii to Wii U where we, you know, lost our, our share in the market. Um, for, for a variety of reasons, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about the Wii in terms of like it's, 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 it's initial momentum and losing that momentum in a way that the Switch has not done yet at this point. The Switch is definitely maintaining its momentum in a way that I think the Wii eventually lost. Um, by this point in the, uh, the, the console lifespan. Um, but anyways, so, um, so basically they're just saying they want to avoid that. Um, there's some translation stuff that happened here where I think, uh, I think it was a paid translator actually. And they, they basically presented it as like the text is like major concerns. Um, and then there's like, well, is that really an accurate translation? And it's like, it kind of is, but it's kind of maybe comes off a little too harsh in English in that way, all that stuff. But like, I think it is a major concern in terms of like, yeah, we don't want to completely mess up our, our, our hardware market, especially when, you know, we're risking this system that has replaced our portable market in some ways. Right. Um, and, and, and so, yes, that would be a major concern, but you know, maybe they're not saying that they're, they're not saying it in a way that is like, Hey, 
we're concerned this is going to happen. Like, like we are betting that this is going to happen or something like that. It's just saying that this is a major thing that we need to avoid, right? I think is the general sentiment of it. Um, because if they don't avoid that, that would be bad. Um, but it did like get me sitting down and thinking about like, you know, what does uh, Nintendo console successor look like these days? Um, and like, what do you do? As Nintendo, um, and and I actually talked to my friend a little bit about this, and 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 I, I think I think like one thing that I personally think is true is that like the Switch is still kind of the only platform in its class right now. You have you have the Steam Deck, but you know I think it's the Steam Deck has a, a minimal penetration rate at this point, and is not a real competitor to the Switch. Maybe eventually it will be. Right now, I don't think it's anything to be really concerned about. So I feel like Nintendo still kind of has a monopoly on this space, right? You don't have Sony trying to get in there. You don't, like, Microsoft has, like, their streaming stuff to phones, but, you know, it's not really at the point that's a real threat at this point. Obviously, you have some foresight, and I'm sure Nintendo's staff is definitely thinking about potential threats in the future. But, like, I, I'm, like, I guess part of me is, like, from a hardware perspective, there's so much momentum on the Switch as is, um still and like eventually yeah you're gonna start running out of people to sell switches too um or at least the the typical market that you would expect um to swell sell switches to um that you probably should iterate on it for a variety of reasons um but i'm just kind of the mind that like i i would not be super surprised if nintendo takes the like a very like conservative approach to the next console generation and um, I think there's a couple of reasons I feel this way. Um, one of this kind of comes back to what I talked about a couple of weeks ago with, uh, you know, Giles at VD talking a little bit about how like Nintendo has shifted a lot of its focus from necess- not necessarily like creating new experiences all the time, but like really focusing on on what works with their current franchises and 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 and, and utilizing that. Um, and so like to me, it just doesn't seem like it would make a lot of sense at this point to really go anywhere crazy with um, the Switch, if you think about that current model, if that if that is true, um, you know, Giles has the, the 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 aspect of he's trying to pitch games to Nintendo. Nintendo's not being receptive, so he has a different viewpoint, probably, and probably has a more personal connection to that. So if he specifically, anecdotally, is getting pushback on whatever games he's trying to make that you know weren't particularly successful, um, at least to a degree that Nintendo might not, might need as a larger of a company they are. Um, then, then he's going to have, you know, that more, I don't know if pessimistic view is the right word, but he's going to probably have a different, different feeling about it. Right. I want to kind of highlight that point. Cause I, I don't know if I previously kind of mentioned that about Giles, just cause like, I, I don't know, Giles, Giles, I'm sorry. Um, just because I, I don't necessarily like, I think he, he, he had to think about his perspective a little bit and I, that's not saying he's wrong. It's just saying that, that, that he's in a position where he might have like a different view of what's happening versus what, you know, maybe is more realistic within the company as a whole kind of thing um so yeah and like and just like this this idea that like since Iwata has passed away there's definitely a lot less drive to 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 push these smaller creative pushes so i'm really curious to see if they will try to do a system that tries anything particularly new you know do we get hd rumble type features that don't really amount to anything but still are part of the package and some developers try to utilize in certain ways but you know they don't really turn to things i think yeah, every console have that has that to some degree right like still not really hearing much about how the playstation 5 triggers really do all that much for those experiences on that system um outside of like astro's playroom or something like that right just, just and part of that's because we're still not getting games built specifically for that generation 
generation. But at the same time, you know, you still have Microsoft without those adaptive triggers. That means that, you know, games that are made for, for multiple platforms can't utilize those in ways that would be um, essential to the game, if you want to call it essential, right? Um, so it just like made me think about that. And like, I'm listening to that Reggie book right now and like kind of their, their, their goals with the Wii and the DS of expanding the gaming audience. And like, what does the gaming audience today look like back then? And like, how much more can you really expand? And especially like with the phone market being what it is, you know, there's a group of people who play video games on their phone and like how does Nintendo capture that in any way with their main console at this point I don't know if that is something they need need to think about um or 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 there is a way for them to do anything like reasonably as a dedicated gaming device kind of thing um so so yeah, it just made me think a little bit about like what would be next and and I have trouble thinking too much about you know what that would be other than just an extension of what we have today um, so, you know, obviously if I knew what this would be and what would be the next successful thing would be, then obviously, you know, I, I probably would not be, you know, I don't know. Everyone always says that thing, like, I wouldn't be working here or something like that. Like, I'm not, I don't have the business drive to do something like that. But if I knew what it was, I'm sure Nintendo people had thought of it at some point as well. But I think the question is, is like, un- this is like the first time we're going to have new hardware under, you know, a leadership that is not. Iwata and the, the kind of the values that we came with Iwata and to some degree. Um, so I'll be really curious to see like how it turns out, what kind of pipeline we're looking at, what kind of feature set we're looking at with the next hardware um, when that comes around. Um, you know, with chip shortages, everything how, being how they are, like, you know, do you really want to start, you know, messing too much with that pipeline. I, I don't think you really want to. You know, you still have Sony and Microsoft really struggling to get hardware units out there for PS5, for PS... or for Xbox Series X um, for that stuff. So so it's just kind of a weird spot. But, you know, I think I think by next year, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a position that makes a lot more sense in regards to the consoles and 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 we'll start having games that, that you know, are exclusive to these newer consoles. I think Final Fantasy 16 is like probably the one that I could think of in the short term that would have the most impact. Um, you know, God of War is still coming out this year, but that is a PS4 game as well. I think that is the last of the Sony PS4 initiative there based off what they said in the past, whether that's going to be true or not is another thing. Um, and then, and then also, you know, Microsoft, I think at some point said it was like a three year commitment to supporting Xbox One during the series X and S lifespan. So I think we're, we're getting to the end of that as well. So yeah. Um, you know, there is a, uh, I didn't talk about it on the podcast as well or before, but there's a summer game fest presentation happening in June. Um, so maybe we'll learn more about that then, you know, obviously that's not really the, 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 the E3 mind space of the summertime kind of thing is not really like as important as it used to be. So if we, we see some kind of dramatic push into next gen, um, may not necessarily be there. It could be, you know, slowly rolled out over time across various events and things like that. So, um, yeah, anyways, I just, yeah, but like I, I, I was asked recently why I haven't bought an Xbox yet. I'm like, I just can't think of reasons to buy an Xbox Series X, Series X or a PS5 at this point. Uh, I know Strangers of Paradise runs better on there and I have an interest in playing Strangers of Paradise, but I honestly would probably be perfectly happy playing that on a PS4 Pro at this point is what I have specifically. So, so yeah. Anyways, that's it for news stories, as, as newsy as they are. Just kind of like general discussions, I guess. Um, just as a reminder, I will be out next week. So I've done a podcast where I talk rank every Monolith Soft game using a tier list thing. So if you want to see the actual tier list 
definitely check out the YouTube version. Um, I will say again, if you are a Xenosaga fan, I really apologize. I think I was really hard on Xenosaga and Xenogears in that video. I don't take back my rankings. The rankings themselves, I stand by for that. What I take, what I, what I, what I don't stand by is the language I use to describe those games. I definitely used words that I do not think are valuable descriptions for video games, um, and and I regret that. Um, but I am not going to go back and re-record that. So, um, so hopefully that's something that you, you recognize. And if you hear it, don't take too much offense of it. I realized what I said was probably not the best way to describe those games. Do you want to have problems with my rankings? For sure, go for it. There's a couple on there. I'm sure that will ruffle some feathers. And I still stand by those rankings and where they're at. Um, but I, I, I regret how I talk about talked about Xenosaga in that 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 podcast a little bit. So just a heads up there again um, for that. But otherwise, I will be streaming per usual. So Crime Crackers will be back on the docket on Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific time again. Um, and then, uh, they have that Patreon video coming out, uh, next, or this week, um, for, for the, uh, uh, baseball, um, um, review commentary. So check that out if you're interested in that. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it. Again, thank you for coming. Wugshowboard.com is the website. And I hope you have a great week. Bye.